So many of you heard this week, or just yesterday, of a tragedy in Buffalo. And it seems like, it's not every week, but it seems like it's almost every week that we come and we talk about this. And I just thought I would just give us a moment of silence to, to pray, um, to reflect, um, to pray for those who, are, who have been affected by this uh, act of hateful violence. Um, and then we'll, we'll go into our, uh, the reading of the scripture. So we are beginning a series on 1 Timothy, and I'll be reading uh, the first chapter here um, all the way through. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myth and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which we, he entrusted to me. I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to be to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that, is in, that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, 
so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these, and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I, blast, who I handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord, we, we hear these words, this letter to Timothy. I pray that you would speak to us through these words, through my words, through the words of each other. Lord, may we have ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart that is receptive for what you want to do in us, what you want to do through us. Lord, as we sit under this teaching, as we sit under you, Lord, may our lives more and more reflect the truth and the beauty of your life, Jesus. Help us to look, act, think, be like you. And Lord, when we inevitably come short, come up, missing the mark, may we return to you. Help us to be full of love and faith and a good conscience. Lord, through this time, as we talk about 1 Timothy, Lord, shape us into the people that you want us to be, individually but communally as well. And so, Lord, speak to us, we pray, in your name. Amen. So, as I said, this morning, we are going into a series called Blueprint about 1 Timothy. And so... It's called Blueprint, and so just as, uh, I mean, I'm not sure anybody, you know, is super into construction, but you don't go into building a building without a blueprint, right? You don't just go, oh, I'm just going to throw together something, you know? How, how, how big, how tall is it? I don't know. How wide? I don't know. You know, you, you have a plan. At least I hope you have a plan, because if you don't, it'll fall over, right? Um, we were talking this week. My wife and I, and she said, oh, yeah, it reminds me of a guy that lived near my parents who would, like, never think fully about the building that he would build. And it would always end up being, like, crooked and, and leaning. And you're like, yeah, he did not follow a blueprint at all. And so just as a builder needs to have a blueprint, the church of Jesus needs a blueprint. We need to see what it looks like to be church together, to be the body of Christ and together. And so we're going to explore First Timothy together and see what that blueprint is for our lives as individuals and as a community of faith. So, today we are kicking off 1 Timothy at the beginning, right? That's where you would start. You wouldn't expect me to start at, you know, chapter 6 and work backwards. So, 1 Timothy chapter 1. And so we said, so it says, as soon as it starts, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from God and our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So, while we're kicking this off, while we're starting to see it, we've got to do some understanding, do some legwork, if you will, of why this 
letter was written to Timothy, who Timothy was, who the author of the book was, and what the, re- what the world is the reason for this letter. So, so what we see is, at the very beginning, we see that is, it is said it's, it's from the hand of Paul, from the Apostle Paul. Now, and it says, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ at the behest of God in Jesus. And so basically, Paul is called to the work and apostle by God and Jesus and the Spirit. And so, now, you can get deeply into the woods here. Like, super deep into the woods. Because some people go, yeah, Paul. It's Paul who wrote this letter, and then there are other theologians and other historians and writers who say, nope, it's not Paul. It's someone who is writing to, to pretend to be Paul. Now, I'm not going to get into those woods. Like, if you really want to go there, like, we could talk afterwards, and we could talk hours and hours and argue both sides. I'm not going there. It's, it's really not that quite important. But, with it, but suffice it to say, I'm going to say Paul just for the ease of reference, that he wrote it. And so Paul is writing to this, it's called a pastoral letter. There's the pastoral letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus. And why they're called pastoral letters is, is that Paul is being pastoral to Timothy and to Titus and helping them do the work of pastoring the communities that they lead. Now, you may say, well, I'm not a pastor. Why, why should it matter to me, you know? But in, in a way, we all pastor people. And he says, he says to Timothy, he says, you are my true son in the faith. And so this letter is written to Timothy sometime after the end of Acts um, and most likely written from the town of Macedonia, from the area of Macedonia. And so it's written to Timothy. Now, Timothy... What we hear about Timothy is that he was raised by his mother and grandmother who were Jewish but had become followers of Jesus and they had embedded his life in the scriptures. But he had a Greek, a Greek father. And so sometime, probably around his second missionary journey, he, Paul meets Timothy and they establish this really mentor-mentoree relationship. And Paul, like like, lives his life in through Timothy. He, like, spends time and takes him on these missionary journeys. And he grow, and Timothy grows in the faith. So what we also see is Timothy is basically pastoring the church at Ephesus while Paul has moved on and started planting other churches along the way. And he says, basically, I'm leaving this in your capable hands. You are now pastoring this church at Ephesus. Now, I think right from the start, we see the blueprint for what the church of Jesus should be about. Right from the get-go in this, he said, he's calling this that the foundation that everything we build on, going along with that me- Uh, building metaphor says this Paul says this an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope to Timothy my true son in the faith grace mercy peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord what he's saying is Jesus is the foundation that everything else is built upon 
In Corinthians, he says this, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation of this letter, before we go any farther, we have to ground what we're going to talk about the next five, this week and the next five weeks in the fact that Jesus is bedrock, is foundational. You can't build on anything else. If you try, you end up misshapen. It's like if you, have, if you build a faulty foundation and then build a house, guess what's going to happen? The house will start to crumble and collapse. Cracks will start to wall, go up the walls. You need a strong foundation to build on, and you need a good blueprint to do so. I mean, so whatever your foundation will look like, then the house will look like. So, so I don't know how many of you saw this Rocky documentary comedy from the early 80s, which I just heard they're going to release a second one called Spinal Tap. Okay? And they sit in this restaurant and they pull this and they say, we want you to create this. And they draw this picture and they write the number 16 on it. And then they do two hashes. Well, 16 with two hashes is inches, right? I think if I, I'm, I'm not one, one is a feet and two is 16 inches. They wanted to build Stonehenge 16 feet high. They write, they put two little dots. What he meant was here, build a Stonehenge 16 inches high. And so there's this scene where they, they're playing on a stage and Stonehenge comes out of the ceiling and it's 16 inches high, and they were hoping this huge, massive thing. What you do with the foundation and the blueprint matters. And so what we're going to see here in a little bit is the Ephesian church, they're fighting about what the foundation of the church is. And Paul is saying to Timothy, you have to build it on Jesus. Anything other, it's going to crumble. It's going to divide. It's not going to look like Jesus. N.T. Wright says this, The God he invokes is the Savior, a title often used in the first century for the Roman emperor, the Caesar of the day. And the Jesus he follows as his hope is the King, the Messiah, the world's true Lord. So he believes... Paul said, I believe this so much. The foundation of not only the church, but the world itself. This world exists because of Jesus, the foundation of the church and of the world. He he so much believes this that later on in the text, he, he comes back to it. He says this. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. If you've grown up in the church, you should be singing a song right now, right? Immortal, immortal, invisible, God only wise. I'm not a hymn guy, but that was running through my head as well. Which is surprising because I don't know a lot of hymns. But it was running through my head. Saying this, Jesus is the king, the foundation of which we built all of our life upon. Jesus is king eternal. He reigns and rules Completely in power and glory. He's immortal. Jesus existed 
from the very beginning. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. So from the very beginning, before time existed, Jesus was. Jesus is creator. He's invisible. Yes, Jesus is God in the flesh, but in a way, we try to box him in. We try to put Jesus in a box. And then, as I was writing this, I remember watching these little videos. Have you ever watched the octopus videos where they, they catch an octopus and they squirm out of these little tiny holes? Somehow, like this, this, it's a big octopus and there's this little hole, like an inch or two in diameter, and somehow this octopus squirms out of there. So yes, I'm, cons- I'm, I'm connecting Jesus and an octopus, okay? That's exactly what I'm doing, is that we try to put Jesus in the box, and he gets out of it every single time. No, Jesus, you got to look like this. Whew, out. We cannot box him in. We don't fully understand him. He's not completely at this time knowable by us. We can't fully know him, but he can fully know us. Jesus is the wise one. He's God and we are not. I was thinking about this, that we're not God, and and a song came to mind, and I'm like, I know it's a movie clip in the song, and there's a movie, and I'm sure most of you have never heard of this movie, called Fat Man and Little Boy. I mean, I've never heard of it. But anyway, in this movie... This guy says, stop playing God because you're not good at it and the position is taken. It's a good reminder, right? We're not God. We can't play God. The position is already taken and we're not it. Jesus is center, the crux, the foundation of our faith and life and the world itself. We put Jesus at the center of our faith. Everything we do And everything that we do from then on builds on that foundation from Jesus first, and then we build upon that. But what does that mean? What does that even look like to say Jesus is our foundation? And so we read in verses 3 to 7, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myth and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. So Paul is saying, you need to stay there. It's probably hard to stay there because all these people are devoting themselves to the things that are not of Jesus. Endless genealogies, controversial speculations, myths. They, they would actually say, you can't eat certain foods. You're not supposed to get married. And, can't get married. and controversial speculations. This is the way you really grow in your faith. Now, think about it this way. It's like ancient conspiracy theories or even the QAnon theory that is so often overtaken part of the church. People getting caught up in all the wrong things, speculations and myths and like ideas that when you come down to, they are not the foundation of Jesus. They're false teachings. 
They're basing their life on it. They're putting that as the foundation, and it crumbles. Instead of basing it upon Jesus, his life, his mission, his ministry, his death and resurrection. Because when we do that, the next thing that happens, the next thing that comes is love. When you truly build a foundation of your life on Jesus, you end up being full of love. But, but the church at Ephesus, they're full of speculations and controversy and, and what we would call as conspiracy theories. And it doesn't lead to love. It doesn't lead to the way of Jesus. And if not, if it doesn't look like to a individuals of love and a community of love, then there's a problem. There's a problem with the very foundation. Foundation of Jesus should lead and produce a community who has a pure heart, full of love. They have a good conscience and sincere faith. And if a community doesn't produce these things, the foundation is not Jesus. Because then love becomes harsh and judgmental. No, no, I love you, but you're so wrong and evil and blah, blah, blah. Then we become, we don't have a pure conscience because we condemn ourselves and others freely. Because we and they don't measure up. And then we don't have sincere faith because then we try to do it ourselves and our own ability and our own power to build the building, if you will. Then we do not have a strong foundation of Jesus. Let's honestly take a look. It's very easy to throw stones. It's very easy to go, well, that group or that group or this group. It's harder to say, right here, right in me. I know that there are things in my foundation that are cracked. But if we also look at the state of the American church as a whole, and I don't care what, I don't care what spectrum, if you will, what label you want to put on the, the church, if we're all honest, all of us individually hasn't, haven't done a great job of putting Jesus as our foundation, the basis for the blueprint of our life. Because I think too often we're known more for what we're against than what we're for. For judgment and not holistic love. For condemnation and for trusting our own self. With that being said, this next part sounds really weird. Seems really weird. Because he seems to lay out all these things. Like he seems like he's going to, now I'm going to judge. Boom. Boom. How we missed the mark. He's making a connection with not only the Jewish law, but the Ten Commandments. N.T. Wright says, he clearly has in mind not the, Jewish la- lo- not the Jewish law in the sense of the first five books of the Bible, but more specifically the Ten Commandments which we find in Exodus 20. So if you notice this, in verses 9 to 10, he says, lawless, disobedient, godless, sinners, unholy, worldly. And then what comes to follow is is about parents and is about marriage and it's about adultery and stealing and false evidence and everything else. And so what you have is fifth commandment, sixth commandment, seventh commandment, eighth commandment, ninth commandment, and tenth. 
And so he's taking all these on and connecting it with the Ten Commandments. And at the end, he also adds a catch-all, like any other such unhealthy teaching. And so when you read the verses 9 to 10 that Paul's writing, it can seem almost like the opposite, right? Because he said, no, love as your found. Jesus is the foundation, and then you have love. And then here's all these things. Boom. You're like, Paul, dude, like, aren't you going against what you just said? Because it sounds awful judgy. But how, when the foundation of our lives, it leads to a life of radical love, a pure heart, sincere faith, and a good conscience. But hold on to that list till we see what happens next, right? Paul, he gets to the end of chapter 1, and I said, this is the second part. We can't, we can't just like focus on, here's the list of how you blow it, or how we, how we get it wrong, or how you get it wrong. Because then Paul says this towards the end. Because he becomes a pattern, a model, a model for the way God reveals his love to the most unlikely people. He says this, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that, we are, that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of who I am the worst. But for that reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display in his imminent patience as an example of those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. The Apostle Paul, grown up as a good Jewish person, educated at the highest level of Jewish belief, under the feet of a highly respected rabbi, became a Pharisee, defended the ancient tradition so much that he went to another town to put to death those who were following the way. On that way, in Acts 9, if you know the story, Saul, at the time, he goes to Damascus to get these followers of the way so that he can put them to death. And on the way, he has a vision of Jesus, an encounter with Jesus that changes him radically from the inside out. He meets Jesus and he meets divine mercy on the way. The first thing we need to know is that Jesus is foundational. The second thing is this. The grace and salvation through Jesus is open to anyone and everyone. No matter what. Paul says, I was the worst of sinners. He wasn't saying, hey, you, you're the worst of sinners. That, that, that person, that person, what you're doing there, he said, me. I think he cared. I think he was so wrapped up in his own, own like, not in a bad way, but he saw himself as he was. And he, was too, he had too much stuff in here to say, huh, you guys over there. He, he was like, I got enough sin. I'm not going to throw it to you. But I, here's what I experienced. I experienced the grace compassion, love, and mercy. And if I am not outside God's reach, there's no one outside God's reach. Not a single person. Which means that if that's true, 
than the way we engage with every single person in our daily lives. That we show them love, respect. We show them compassion and grace. John 3.17 in the message, God didn't go to all the trouble of sending the son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. Did not come to condemn the world, but to set the world free. Our job is not to condemn people. Our job is to love people. Our job is to put Christ as the foundation and then be full of love and compassion. Jesus met this worst sinner of the world with divine mercy. He meets you and I with divine mercy every day. And so we're going to spend some time talking about what that means, that Jesus is our foundation, and that what does it mean to build our life upon that foundation. We're going to talk about the times that you've experienced the grace love and compassion and mercy and how you can become better vessels of that moving forward.